G'day, I'm Matt and welcome to church this morning. Whether this is your first time with us or you're a seasoned regular, we're so glad that you could join us today as we sit under God's word together. We're going to be continuing in our series on 1 Peter. We're currently in the back half of chapter 2, which is all about submission. Now, I'm guessing that you, like all people everywhere, struggle with this idea of submission from time to time. And on the one hand, that's, there's nothing unusual about that. People have struggled with this since the very beginning when Adam and Eve chose not to submit to God's plan. But on the other hand, we read earlier in 1 Peter that we are a people that the Lord has chosen to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession to praise Him for calling us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now that's no small cookies. So how can we ensure that we do our best to faithfully submit to God and the authorities that he has placed over us in our lives? Well, God has provided us with the perfect example. And this morning our senior minister John is going to be unpacking that further from 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll also be singing praying and hearing from one of our Link missionary families. But first, let's praise Christ our King together in song.
Good morning. Uh, my name is Tony Michelle. I'm from the 1045 service at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church. And we have the privilege of talking to our Heavenly Father. But what is he like? As, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us, according to our iniquities. He sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect life on our behalf and to shed his blood as an offering for our sins. So let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are mindful of us and that you call us into your family with Jesus as we call you Father, knowing that you love us and hear our prayers. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbours and to live for your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, you, Lord, are the one true, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call you Lord. We call to you when we are in distress because you answer us. Listen to our cry for mercy. Hear our prayer. Amen. And Father, we give you thanks for the lasting hope we share in Jesus, that you have given us an inheritance that can never spoil or perish or fade. Thank you that we are able to continue to join together in various ways as a community of believers, even in these times when we cannot meet physically. We praise you that we can start meeting in small groups once again and look forward to the time when we can sing your praises once again as a congregation gathered together in your name. Help us to be mindful of those within our church family who may be anxious and in need of some encouragement and support. Fill them with your love and the knowledge that while all earthly things come and go, your promises never fade away. Amen. And we bring these members of our congregation before you now. John, Sarah, Annabelle and Matthew Thorpe, Elva Tiang, Lois Tibbetts and Yvette, Max, Freya and Oscar Tor, in the hope that you will equip them with everything good for doing your will. We pray that they will know your blessing in their lives as they seek to bring glory and praise to you. Grant them wisdom and strength. Strengthen them in their hope and faith. Amen. Our thoughts also go to the Forrest family in Oman, Jordan. And we especially pray for Aidan as he faces the challenge of life now that he has finished school. Be with him in the choices he needs to make concerning the near future. Amen. And we pray also for the various churches in the diocese as they find ways to continue to proclaim Christ and share the good news of Jesus in their local communities, in spite of the restrictions placed on them at this time. Amen. And would you join me together with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Hi everyone. We wanted to give you a, an update on how things are going and what life is like for us here in Amman at the moment. So um, it's Friday today and uh, we're on a total curfew. So that means we're not allowed to leave our building. Which um, So we're actually on the roof of our building at the moment. On normal days, we're allowed to um, leave the building between 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. But we can only drive our car on odd numbered days. So um, things are starting to open up a little bit more. Businesses are opening up and um, some of the government offices. So things are loosening up a little bit, which feels good. <laughs> We just heard yesterday that churches and mosques will be able to meet uh, next weekend. Um, so that's good news, but we need more information uh, before we get too excited because we don't know how many people and what sort of physical distancing will be required and, and all those kinds of things. So we're not celebrating quite yet. Um, but we are celebrating that school finished last week. So that was a bit of a relief after nine weeks of online learning, which was a bit of a marathon and so um, Aiden has finished school for good um, it wasn't really the end to school that we would have liked he missed out on a lot of the fun things that happen at the end of school so that's a bit sad we're hoping that maybe he'll be able to do some fun things with his friends in the next few weeks um, but of course now we're on our long summer break so we have three months of holidays now um, and we're not quite sure what the kids are going to do for three months but I guess the good news is that a lot more of their friends are here than normal because the airport's still closed We'd love you to be praying for us. Uh, it'd be great to pray for church um, that we'd be able to welcome new people well or when they eventually arrive, which might not be that soon, but um, and that we can care for people well in a, an unusual time. Uh, it'd be great to pray for the school too. Uh, we need lots of new teachers for next year, uh, so that's going to be really important for the, the school to be able to function well and care for the, the children well. Um, and it'd be also great if you could pray for Aidan. Uh, he's got to work out what he's going to do for the next eight months and then what he's going to do for university after that as well. So we'd love you to be uh, praying for him as well. But thanks. Hope that gives you a bit of an idea uh, of what's going on for us. Bye for now. Bye. Imagine what it would be like if you couldn't pray. As Christians, prayer is at the very centre of who we are. We are a praying people. We pray because we're not in control. We pray because God hears us. It's like in the Psalms, when things are going well, we want to give God thanks. When things are not going well or we're facing grief or sorrow, we want to ask for help. To not be able to pray is to not be able to do any of these things. And yet that's exactly what happened to Joshua. Joshua is a young Australian university student who loves Christ and wanted to share that with his friends and those who he came into contact with. And yet Joshua quickly found himself in trouble. In fact, it cost him dearly. I've grown up in a Christian family and I've been raised with Christian values. And I was around about three or so when I first made the decision to follow Jesus. Since then, it's just been a continuous journey of discovering more of who Jesus is. 
So it all started when I received an email to say that I'd been reported by a few students for student misconduct. And so the instance that had been reported was me just talking to a girl I've been friends with for the past year and a half. And so we were just talking about work and she was saying she was really stressed. I asked if I could pray for her. She said, yeah, yeah. Something that she appreciated afterwards. She said like, look, I don't agree with that. I'm an atheist personally, but thank you. I really appreciate the care. But I was then told that I shouldn't be praying for students on campus and that it's challenging their beliefs and that I shouldn't be doing that. I was pretty, pretty annoyed, pretty confused as to why that was a reason. I was like, no way is that a fair reason to suspend me. I had been told that I needed to attend fortnightly counselling sessions to learn how to appropriately interact with my peers. I was also told that if I stepped foot on campus again, that I would be removed by security guards. So I was quite amazed by that, thinking, wow, I've simply spoken to someone and I'm now like a threat to the safety of other students. Found out through a friend of the family's through church that she'd received some help in a situation from Australian Christian Lobby. Yeah, right from the start, they were very encouraging, very comforting and just reminded me, look like you've been put in the wrong here, you've got God, he'll help you with this, it's worth, worth us fighting it. We received some great help from the lawyers there. They addressed the university, took back the suspension and cleared my record, which was a brilliant result because I may not be doing the current uni course I'm now doing if it wasn't for that. Could have prevented me from getting jobs and all of that, so yeah, I'm very blessed to have had the help. If we didn't have their protection, then a lot of people in universities and other cases would be shut down without being able to come back in that environment and knowing now that I have that sort of assistance available if something like this happens again gives me that freedom to be able to keep sharing with wisdom but being able to keep sharing knowing that I have such help there and yeah it definitely definitely makes a difference for me. Hello my name's Carolyn and the reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 to 25. Slaves Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. It's great to have you with us. And please pray with me as we get into this passage from 1 Peter. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, that in it we have everything we need for salvation and life. 
Help me to speak to it faithfully now and by your spirit convict each of us of the things we need to hear. Amen. As Christians living in Australia, we get it pretty good in terms of religious tolerance. And certainly we don't experience the persecution that many Christians experience around the world. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference with a Nigerian pastor and he was sharing how just that week one of his congregation members had been kidnapped and we were praying for his safe return. In northern Kenya, uh, a busload of travellers were pulled over by gunmen. Uh, they were lined up along the side of the bus and everyone who professed to be a Christian was shot and killed. And so our experience in Australia is certainly nothing like those experiences that other Christians have around the world. But at the same time, it's hard not to feel that there is a general mood of negativity around Christians here in Australia. I think part of that has been driven by the same-sex plebiscite a couple of years ago and the polarising of our community around different views of marriage. Uh, more recently, uh, things like Gay Pride Days in workplaces or in schools uh, have made it difficult for Christians. Uh, certainly, if a company wants to have a Gay Pride Day or a heterosexual casual sex day, then that's completely their choice. Uh, but it's difficult for Christians uh, when they're told to not simply be tolerant uh, of what's happening around them, but that they should actually be advocates for values that are very different to our Christian values. And then, of course, uh, we had Israel Folau and his comments on social media and his subsequent sacking, and more recently, uh, the religious Bill of Rights uh, discussion that's been going on in Parliament. I think all of those things have contributed to a general negativity and a general cultural tension towards Christians. And so we're not too surprised when we hear a story like Josh's, uh, but at the same time it's remarkable uh, that we've reached this point where there is so much fear around different ideas. And so, you know, Josh's views and opinions are deemed so dangerous and so threatening that they felt they needed to suspend him from university. Uh, the passage we're looking at today is talking specifically about slaves. But I think it has a general principle uh, for us as Christians living in the world for in any situation where we feel we are being oppressed or treated unjustly, and particularly where we're treated unjustly for our faith. And so last week uh, in our passage, Peter set up the principle where he said, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And part of doing good is a willingness to show respect and honour and to seek the good of those around us. So to pick up the language from last week, even though we are slaves of God, we shouldn't use that as an excuse to neglect or subvert our responsibility in society. And Peter uses the word slave to describe our relationship with God because it speaks to our absolute unwavering allegiance. But it also speaks to God's protection of us. And so as a Christian and as an Australian, I'm a Christian first and an Australian second. But as a Christian, I'm called to be the absolute best citizen I can possibly be. And not only for my sake, but so that others might see my behaviour and honour God. And so last week was all about how we live in society. Uh, this week we're sort of narrowing that down 
uh, to how we live uh, within a servant-master relationship. And so our passage says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. The word Peter uses here is literally household servant. So it's a different word to what he used earlier to describe our allegiance to God. But conceptually, they mean the same thing. Uh, in our context, we're not slaves. But there are certainly plenty of situations where we place ourselves under the authority of another person. So if you're a student, you place yourself under the authority of your teachers. If you're a worker, you place yourself under the authority of your company and your boss. If you join the local footy club or the surf club or the United Cross Stitch Association of Australia, then you submit yourself to whatever leadership structures they've put in place. And so certainly on a principle level, we can still take a passage like this and apply it to our circumstances. But as we read it, it also raises all sorts of questions for us, doesn't it, about why it seems to accept slavery as simply a normal part of society. Because unlike God, when we enslave people, we take away their dignity and their humanity. We take away their equality as equal human beings. So we don't just treat them as second-class citizens, but their lives become less valuable. We know from various historical sources that slaves could live a life of relative security and dignity. Uh, they were paid, they were provided with food and a home and protection. They could achieve success in society as a cook and a teacher or perhaps a business manager. Uh, they could earn their freedom uh, or buy their freedom. So slavery provided social and economic stability for masters, but it also provided security for slaves. And certainly in the Old Testament, uh, slaves are provided for and have rights and protections. But a slave was still a slave. And so if you had a good master uh, who was considerate and looked after your well-being, well, that's fantastic. But if you have a terrible master who, who's harsh and unfair, then life could be horrific. And of course, there was no legal recourse uh, if you were treated unfairly. Uh, you couldn't run away and staging a coup uh, tended to end badly. And so in this passage, Peter is talking about uh, Christians who are living with harsh masters. Uh, but as we read this passage, it does make you wonder, you know, why doesn't he speak up against slavery generally? In fact, Jesus, Paul, John, uh, the writer of Hebrews, none of them speak against the institution of slavery. And certainly for critics of Christianity, they would look at that silence as just one example of why the teachings of Jesus aren't as good or as revolutionary as Christians claim. And so I think there's a few things to consider in response. Firstly, the Old and the New Testament both affirm the equal value of all people. So male, female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, we are all created in the image of God and we are all equal. And Christ died for everyone. And so that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus is co-heirs to the family fortune and we look forward to the new creation. And so that really was revolutionary. Secondly, the Old Testament law did provide for slavery, but it was primarily about looking after the needs of the slave. And so slaves had dignity, or were given dignity, and they had rights. And so if a master punched a slave and they lost a tooth, 
then that slave was to be set free as compensation. A slave was to be given a day of rest. They were to share in the Sabbath in the same way as the rest of the household. And if a slave ran away from their master, then they weren't to be returned and they could settle in the place and the community in which they now live. And if a Jew sold themselves into slavery, then they had to be freed after six years and then compensated so they could then go out into the world and succeed. The third thing is, everyone expected the promised Messiah to come and completely upturn the social structures of society and to introduce a new era of prosperity. And instead, Jesus comes and he calls people into a new kingdom. So Jesus is quoted as saying in Luke's account of events, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. So Jesus was a huge disappointment to those who were expecting a more militant Messiah. But I think even today, um, people are disappointed that Jesus didn't pursue a more radical social agenda. Uh, but rather than trying to change existing Roman social structures, Jesus calls people into a new kingdom. He saves people into a new structure. And then he calls people to honour God in the present and to honour those within society. And as they do that, they point people to the glory of God which is why Paul can write these words in his letter to Timothy. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and as devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So Christian slaves and masters both have a responsibility to honour God in their circumstances. And at the same time, they need to recognise that their identity and their significance and their security isn't in their role in society, but in Christ. Uh, but that's easier said when you've got a slave and a master who are mutually committed to the good of the other. But in the context of this passage, Peter is talking to slaves who have harsh masters. And so we can assume from uh, the way he describes these masters that they're not Christians. And in fact, he parallels them to those who persecuted and crucified Jesus. And so in verse 19, we get to the heart of what Peter wants to say to these Christians who are also slaves. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So Peter condemns the behaviour of these masters. It's harsh and abusive and unjust. But he also wants to be clear that not all suffering is the result of injustice. So verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Of course, it's never acceptable to beat someone, but a slave doesn't deserve any credit before God for suffering as a result of their own bad behaviour. You know, if we get disciplined or fired or a detention for simply doing the wrong thing, then we can't turn around and blame someone else and claim that it's some sort of personal vendetta or religious discrimination. If you're a student and you don't hand your assignment in on time, then you can't say, you know, the teacher doesn't like me or they don't like me because I'm a Christian. You simply haven't done what you were supposed to do. And so you suffer the consequences. So not all suffering is commendable. And certainly some suffering is thoroughly deserved. 
But if they do suffer for doing good and endure it, despite being treated harshly, then that is something that is genuinely praiseworthy. And so Peter is commending the slave who says, you know, my master, Jesus, has told me to submit to my earthly master and to honour him, and so I'm going to be the best slave I can possibly be. And if my master yells and screams at me, even if I haven't done the wrong thing, I'm going to continue to honour him. And so people will see that I'm different, and they'll see that I do it because I'm a Christian. Even for a slave, submission is a choice because it speaks to our motivation. So if we do something begrudgingly uh, or if we're forced to do it, well, that's just compliance. But if we choose to do something willingly and for the sake of the good of the other, well, that's submission. And certainly that willingness comes out in our demeanour and the quality of our work. We don't just want to do the bare minimum to satisfy the requirement. We want to exceed expectations. We want to take pride in our work. And even though we don't necessarily have positional power in our workplace or as a student, we certainly have relational power. And so we have the opportunity to support those in authority. And that comes out in the way we respect them, in the way that we talk about them, in the way that we participate in the classroom. And when we do those things motivated by a desire to honour God, then that's commendable. And it's even more commendable and noticeable when we do it to someone who is a poor leader, uh, someone who is harsh and unfair, uh, or perhaps even someone who belittles us uh, for our faith. And when we're faithful to God in those moments, when we honour them in those moments, well, that really stands out as something profoundly different. And our example is that of Christ. So verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then Peter goes on to explain why. So from verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's significant because Peter wants to say to these slaves that we submit to those who have authority, not simply because you have no power, and no control. You know, Jesus had power. He could have chosen not to suffer. Uh, but instead, he chooses to endure the suffering for the sake of honouring his father. And justice will come, but he leaves justice to his father's timing. And in fact, Jesus will die on the cross and pay the price for the very people who are inflicting the suffering on him. And so verse 24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So his suffering achieves our salvation. And in verse 25 he says something very similar but in language that's a little more personal. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The image of a sheep going astray and a shepherd is incredibly comforting. And certainly every kid can relate to that feeling of being lost. You know, we've all got a story that goes something like this. You know, we're at a department store with mum and she's walking through the ladies' clothing section. And we're kind of bored and making up our own little games using, you know, the clothing racks and the tiles on the floor. And then we look up and we see, you know, the holy grail of Lego sets, the Lego castle. 
And so we look at mum and we look at the Lego set and you know, we think, oh, well, I'll go and have a look just for a moment. And so we run over and we're having a look and we're looking at the minifigures and the drawbridge and the turrets and you know, we're just standing there in awe of this magical Lego box. And of course we become so absorbed with our magical Lego box that we then look up and realise that mum's gone. And so we try to retrace our steps and we go you know, back to the ladies' you know, coats, but we're not quite sure if we turned you know, left or right. And then we end up in the ladies' bra section and that's when you know that you've really gone wrong. And so that panic just wells up inside until it sort of come, becomes an overwhelming sobbing you know, and hysterics. And then there's that moment you know, when mum comes around the corner and you realise that you know, you've just been saved from imminent death and now life is all good again. You know, in real life, uh, that can look like a whole bunch of different life choices. Yeah, where we make decisions and where sin looks good and fun and free. And then we end up in a place that we just never expected to be and we feel completely lost. So if the sheep is the one that is getting lost and the shepherd is the one that comes and finds and saves and protects and guides. And for someone reading this letter, then the language of shepherd would also remind them of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is what we have in Christ. It's not a suffering-free life, but we have a shepherd who is in control, uh, who is protecting us, who has saved us from the consequences of our sin. And whatever suffering does come, we know that we have God with us, comforting us and walking with us through it. So Jesus was willing to suffer for our sake and for the sake of our salvation. And as we follow Jesus, we are called to endure the same suffering with the hope that our example uh, and our desire to honour God uh, will lead to their salvation. And we do that for those people who we like, uh, for those people who we find lovable, uh, but equally for those people who really don't like us and who treat us harshly, and perhaps who even persecute us for our faith. So what does this look like in real life? We live in a culture where we have rights and protections. Uh, so when should we endure suffering for the sake of the gospel? And when should we uh, seek protection uh, and make a complaint? You know, not just for our sake, but also for the sake of others. You know, there is a biblical place for lawsuits. Uh, to protect people from injustice. And so, just as one example, we read in Exodus 23. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. For us, we have HR departments and things like Fair Work Australia who mediate on our behalf if we feel vilified or harassed or bullied. But can I suggest those things should be a last resort rather than a first? If you have a boss or a teacher who's negative towards you because you're a Christian, then the best response is to be a better worker or a better student. If they give you menial tasks as a way of pushing your buttons, then push back by doing a better job than anyone ever would have expected and then asking, you know, what can I do next? 
And I think we need to be slow to complain when people say something offensive. Because people are always going to say things that are offensive. And we need to be careful when we use labels like bully. Because simply disagreeing is not the same as bullying, even if it's said in a way that we find hurtful. And if we do need to say something, then start by approaching the person and talk to them and see if you can work out a solution before running off to your boss or to the HR department. Because you may well be able to uphold your rights, but in doing so, you might end up hardening them to the gospel. And so are we willing to give up our rights for the sake of someone else? Yeah, our culture seems to thrive at the moment on being outraged and offended by pretty much everything. And so as Christians, we need to be careful not to join in that culture. And we need to be careful with our words uh, that we try to say things in a way that avoid offence. Uh, but equally, we need to be willing to be a little bit patient, a little bit tolerant when people offend us. And to be willing to stand up and still love people even though they might dislike us. And our hope is that as we seek to honour God and as we love them, that we might commend the gospel to them, that they might actually see Christ in us. Jesus suffered unjustly so that we might be saved. And so we are called in this passage to endure that same injustice, to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. And that means going beyond what is reasonable and fair and being willing to show the same grace that God has shown us. And so are we willing to do that? Are we willing to give up our rights and perhaps sometimes our pride for the sake of the gospel so that others might be saved? Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. We hope that you can join us again next week as we continue through 1 Peter. Before you log out this morning, uh, make sure that you let us know that you were here through the comments section. Uh, say good day, let us know how you're going, what you've been doing, and perhaps how God has spoken to you this morning through his word. In a moment, we're going to finish with a song together. But as we head out into another week where we struggle with this idea of submission, May we face this week with this Bible verse from chapter 2 in our ears. Verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen.